0: And welcome to Dominic Diamond's Mind Palace, the kind of interstitial dreamscape void that occupies the space between Series 6 and Series 7 of Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Ash Versus, and normally this is where I'd throw over to my co-host Luke Owen, or more accurately, Luke would have done that first bit and then he'd throw over to me. However, Luke cannot be here this week, and so I've been joined by someone else. And I am Cliff Foster, aka the amazing Cliff hello
1: again
0: wow i'm back <laughs> you're back and you're on the main timeline this time this is I no patreon only exclusive by the way if you want to hear us talk about captain and the games master sign up to patreon.com forward slash pod yeah you were always destined to be on this episode and it was going to be me you and luke in a menage a trois as it were but <laughs> now we're just holding each other by the hand yeah.
1: Do you know what? It is It is an absolute honour. Because I, I didn't, you know, and I never took this for granted. Never took it for granted that I would be asked to do this. So it, it's an absolute honour.
0: As it should be. As it should be. <laughs> but this is our first between-season episode. While we prepare for one, the arrival of Series 7, two, our second live show, and three, the official Series 6 wrap-up episode, we are going to be taking a look at the UK launch of of the Nintendo 64, something that took place merely a week after the broadcast of the final episode of Games Master Series 6. In less than 48 hours' time, for
1: 250 notes, you'll be able to lay your grubby hands on the most powerful games machine ever, the awesome N64. Already over 3 million have been sold in Japan and America since its release seven months ago, and demand is quite literally outstripping supply. The three launch titles are the excellent Pilot
0: Wings, the disappointingly clumsy Shadows of the Empire, and of course, Mario 64, quite possibly the greatest video game ever. So close to actually having a launch happen. During the series. So close. But the Nintendo 64 arrived. It was here in the UK. Cliff, we've had our back and forth Nintendo 64 versus SNES, but we're not here for that today. We are here for the launch of a console that is really, despite our feud, near and dear to both of our hearts, but especially to yours with N64 Live. So mm. what is your history with the Nintendo 64? Why do you love this weird console, so much.
1: You're right. It is an odd console to be your favorite. I think a lot of casuals would find that a bit weird because of the titles that came out, but it is really an odd one. Um, I sort of narrow it down because back in the, uh, I want to say Christmas of 1997, um, on Boxing Day, I went over my friend Daniel's house. And Daniel had sat there the new Nintendo 64. And obviously, a lot of friends had PlayStations at that time and I'd played on the PlayStation over cousins' houses and whatnot. However, sitting there for the first time and seeing Mario 64 as it was, it was jaw-dropping. To see that open world and the music and the colours, going from me having a Mega Drive at home to seeing that was a bit, as I said, it was a bit of one of those moments that stuck with me. Now, fast forward to the September of 1998, I was taken to a Curry's or a Dixon's or a PC World. I can't actually remember what the shop was at the time. However, we walked in and my mum said, right, you have a choice. This was going to be my first ever console that was mine. It wasn't family. It wasn't to be shared. This was going to be my first ever console to go in my bedroom and me just to play in my own spare time. And I had the choice of either the PlayStation or the Nintendo 64. And for some reason, even though most of my friends had PlayStation, I gravitated more to that N64. Because this was during my sort of teenage years, um, very much my development stages of going from that early teen to almost all the way through to the PlayStation 2 launch... You know, I got it soon afterwards when I was about 16 years old, I think it was. But going into that time period, that machine was there for some really big, important parts of my life. And it was not a friend as such, but these games, this console, there's there's a connection there. There's a connection with me. I can't really explain it. It's like when you have a book that you, you gravitate back to that book, no matter how many times you've read it, and with about... 10 of these titles it's the same with me no matter how many times i go back and replay them it almost takes me back to those years of being in my bedroom listening to mark and lard whilst having the telly slightly lower than mark and lard in the background and playing these titles it was such a big important part of those Teenage years for me.
0: What were those core titles for you? What were those titles that you just kept coming back to?
1: We're gonna sort of do it in reverse order. I'll do my sort of top five. So reverse order, space station Silicon Valley, a very open world game made by DMA Design, who would later become rock stars. But no, it was a very open world game where you would take control of these robot animals and it was just so interactive and how or the AI interacted differently. Just one of those games it can really switch off to. Number four would be mario tennis mario golf these are really simple games that it it, it taught me so many games on this console taught me the rules of certain sports i know that's bonkers but i learned the rules of tennis through the n64 i learned the rules of golf through n64 i learned the rules of ice hockey for the n64 Uh, i used to get gravitated to those two titles And then the top three. And these aren't just the top three games of this console. These are my top three games of all time. First one, Banjo-Kazooie. If anybody's listened to my show, you hear that amazing music made by Christopher Jordan Cook. And he took what I said to him of, I want music that, you know, has that rare feel to it, has that banjo feel to it. And he really captured that with the cheekiness of me. And then... Yeah, so Banjo Kazooie is a title that I keep coming back to, and no matter how how many times I play it, it's just one of those titles that I can put twenty hours into quite easily. Second to last is one that I know that you love as well, and that is if you're from the UK, Lilac Wars. If you're from the US or anywhere else, Star Fox sixty four. My party trick is that I can easily complete that game on the top run, mission complete, absolutely every single level without losing a life and I've done it on stream before to prove it I can do that it's one of my little party tricks and it's just a game I absolutely adore
0: I'm with you on there you're absolutely right I loved Star Wing, aka Star Fox on the Super Mm -hmm. Nintendo but there is something about those games about that blend of characters and of Mm -hmm. course with the original and uh, to a degree a little bit the uh, the second game there was in the character design in the marketing material there was kind of an ode to Jerry Anderson yes. and the thunderbirds and the puppets and stuff like that and the design of the spaceships and just for the first game on the snares that opening title sequence and then just Lilit Wars aka Star Fox 64 just the absolute escalation of that but i will contain my star fox <laughs> love just for a little bit longer and i will contain the love for my favorite game
1: of all time and this is very cliche because it's a lot of people's favorite game of all time favorite games of all time but that's Zelda Ocarina of Time um obviously not the first Zelda game I played the first Zelda game I played and owned was Link's Awakening um but there's something about coming onto that Hyrule Field for the first time and it being a wow moment and ever since It is a game that I've constantly gone back to in my times of need, you know, that something very emotional happened to me last year. I lost my father. And the first thing I did when I came back to streaming, I was like, right, that is the game we're going to play. And it is always my comfort blanket. It's something that I can come back to time after time.
0: The video gaming chicken soup, as it were, it's the thing that just brings you comfort just that game that you just know you can go to we've all got games like it or films like it or albums like it Mm. i do remember playing ocarina of time and it's something we will also address a little bit later (laughs) is the um is the status of role-playing games on nintendo 64 yeah and it was a question mark (laughs) for a long time but zelda came along and while not a traditional role-playing game by many japanese standards it did show that this console can do big epic fantasy. Yeah, you listening square, it could do it. (laughs) I mean, I guess because there is a little bit of an age gap between us or maybe just Mm -hmm. because I was already at least partially employed by that point, I was, I want to say I was launch day N64. If Mm. not launch day, day after launch day. It was certainly one of those initial launch batches HMV was sold out. Woolworths were sold out. uh, Electronics Boutique or Game, I can't remember which one it was at that point, they were sold out. But those great catalogue bastions, Argos. Argos still had some Nintendo 64s, And I think I had one reserved, and I think that's how I still had it and was still able to get it the day after. Mm. And so I kind of went all the way up Cheltenham High Street, the main shopping district, and Argos was right at the end. I got my N64, and they didn't have Mario 64. Oh, no. They didn't have Pilot Wing 64. So my first Nintendo 64 game was Shadows of the Empire, An an interesting game to start my journey with. I was, I was fortunate at the time. I was very, very fortunate to have access to two current-gen consoles, uh, partly because while I was part-time employed, I was very good at saving, but I was very bad at long-term saving. So I saved up enough for a PlayStation, and then I had no money. And I saved up enough for a Nintendo 64, and then I had no money. To be honest, there's so many games I must have bought at the time, and I had them until I completed them, and then I traded them in. There are games I wish I still had because they'd be worth a small mint if they were in good condition. But nope. I wanted the next game, traded it in for 25 quid and paid the difference. So if you didn't know already,
1: I'm a massive fan of UCP. So when I found out um, that UCP was going to be a podcast and uh, I was a massive fan of Games Master as well, I listened to especially Series 1 and Series 2. I go, I've got my N64 up in the attic. And I went up there and I still had about 15 games. And I started playing through these 15 games. And literally, as you said, that thing of, I wish I hadn't traded in games. That was all that was going through my head. I traded in Rogue Squadron. I need to get back Rogue Squadron. I traded in Space Station Silicon Valley. I got rid of that one. Where is that one? And now my collection sits at 136 cards
0: <laughs> japanese american and pal and there's only like 393 games for the nintendo 64 that's ntc as
1: well it's actually only 295 if you were take it into account pal so let's put it like this i can walk into any cx usually in the country And whatever N64 games they are selling, I already own. At least
0: one copy of, because there's a couple of games I own two copies of. (laughs) I think one of the big selling points in Nintendo 64, and one I wish I had more memories of, is four players. Mm. Because this was a Nintendo console that went two controller ports. That's not enough. Let's make it four. It's something that Nintendo would continue onwards with, with the GameCube. But for the Nintendo 64, I mean, if we go NTSC and we include all the year increment games, (laughs) there were, yeah, just shy of 400 games. Mm -hmm. Maybe only a quarter of them took advantage of that four player. And I don't know if that's just bad luck, if it's where certain developers didn't flock to the N64, or was it because the Nintendo 64 tried to make four player local work at a time when internet gaming was becoming a thing. It didn't hit its stride until the 2000s when broadband became a thing, but we've seen it on Games Master multiple times. Mm -hmm. Flight simulators, Doom, Quake, all those things going on. And so suddenly, bar one very key title for the Nintendo 64, multiplayer gaming was moving away from the sofa.
1: But at the same time, I think if you look at, let's say, myself, my age group, we were going over still sleepovers and things like that. You know, we were in our teenage years. Those with a PlayStation, I used to have to sit there and watch my friends play Resident Evil 2. However, if they came over mine, eh, 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 golden eye, four controllers in that slot, and you could just literally bang and it's straight on that screen. And I think that's where, you know, that there is this primeval love that I, I hear about the N64. People misremember certain games it's quite funny how they misremember certain games as being either good or bad but at the same time it it's how it made them feel at that time yes the internet gaming phenomenon was just around the corner however this brought people together and yeah it, it's just it's amazing that we were just able to net, then plug in a controller and go and all four
0: of them <laughs> The one thing I wish I'd had more experience of, and I did have two-player experience on this game, is another subject matter close to both of our hearts, and indeed Luke's heart if he was here, professional wrestling. Yes. WCW World Tour, WCW NWO Revenge, then on to WrestleMania 2000, then on to No Mercy, and on the Japanese side of things, uh, Virtual Pro Wrestling and uh, Virtual Pro Wrestling 2. There was going to be
1: a sequel to No Mercy, but they sort of ran out of time.
0: (laughs) There was going to be called Backlash, but never was released. But those wrestling games were, uh, in comparison to the majority of wrestling games that have been sold to a Western audience, very, very simple to pick up, Mm. but complicated to master. You couldn't just go in and start doing immediate, like kind of finishing moves and signature moves and power moves. You had to wear your opponents down. There was strategy. You had to rest. You had to breathe. You had to watch out because you could get knocked out. It was also a four player game. Mm -hmm. And you could have tag teams. You could have Rumbles. You could have free for alls. You could have. Are the people controlling managers for outside interference? Do you know what, one of the things uh,
1: that I loved about that game, especially No Mercy, well, it's No Mercy where they brought it in, a special guest referee mode. And the amount of times me and my friends would get into actual arguments of when somebody was the special guest referee and it was one, two, and it was just this running joke. And every time everyone would absolutely lose their
0: stuff. Every time. And then you had the other option, you could go with the guest referee mode of one, two, three, done, out. <laughs> Exactly, just uh, smack your left C button as quickly as you can. I did get some epic 1v1 matches with my friend Mensky, a former guest on the podcast, because he was almost the fastest time or almost the person to be interviewed for Games Master for the completion of Sonic 2. But I remember having at least one match, and I think it must have been on WrestleMania 2000, where we legitimately went an hour long. It was just back and forth and back and forth. I I can't even remember who won. I probably lost, but I genuinely couldn't tell you who won for certain because it wasn't the result that mattered. It was the fact that we shared that journey. And I wish I had more memories like that. I wish I had more memories of Goldeneye. I did definitely play Mm. it at some point with some friends. I guess for you, and maybe this is because you were slightly younger, you have that as a core experience. I do and actually Goldeneye was one of
1: my first games and what I'm just showing you because audio media you know don't help this but I've got my original controller which is a golden controller that I got on when I got my N64 and Goldeneye was one of those titles like it was the boxed-in game so I had the boxed-in game so I never had I can't ever get annoyed with myself with destroying or losing that box because I never actually physically got the box. It was almost in a plastic container in the actual box with the N64. It wasn't just the multiplayer with GoldenEye, even though that was what people ke- kept coming back to. And it was the how that was bought into the game was the most happiest mistake ever. It was literally moments before they launched the game, they went. Should we stick just a random, you know, Quake-esque multiplayer into this? Ah, yeah, we can. Yeah, here we go. Russell up some levels. Take away some of the detail. Fantastic. Get it out there for everyone to use. And that's what people remember. But that first player experience as well. Now, the game came out two years after the Bloomin' movie. In fact, I think it wasn't long after the game came out that Tomorrow Never Dies came out. Uh, So the, obviously, sequel to GoldenEye as such. Um, but it's, it's amazing that even though that, that game came out two years later, it was, it, was, it was the closest I think you we've had, it was the closest that we had had at that point to living a movie. Like, I can't think of a title before that that was so accurate to the movie, but then expanded upon it. Um, It was... I think that people tend to gloss over that with the first player.
0: As fondly remembered as the multiplayer in GoldenEye is, there are some bits of it that are fundamentally broken. Golden Gun. (laughs) The Golden Gun. Odd job. (laughs) And it does very much smack of we threw this together at the last minute. That's not to say it's not fun, it's not to say it's not good, please, I do not need those tweets and emails. But it is fundamentally broken, and You're absolutely right. The first player experience of GoldenEye for me has held up better than the multiplayer. 100%. Because there are actually better games
1: on this console, in my opinion, as a multiplayer. For people in your timeline, let's stick with what I consider the best first-person shooter game on this console, and that is Doom 64. Because I have just heard a podcast where you two talk about Doom 64. It is... In my opinion, here we go. I'm going to get you some emails. The best first-person shooter on this console. Fantastic game.
0: It is a game I don't think it got the love it deserved at the time. I think that's been said by many people. I may have even said it on the podcast you just listened to. But I love that it's getting reappraised now. The fact Mm. is I've got Doom 64 on this PC. I've got it on my Switch down there. I think I've got it on the Xbox downstairs. (laughs) Because it is basically distilled essence of Doom. Well,
1: it was the best of. So they created that Doom as almost a, right, let's take what was brilliant about every single Doom we've made before and just put this all into this game. You said it in the previous podcast, you can just pick it up and play. It's no faff to it, just pick up and play. And I was very, very fortunate for one of my viewers slash listeners, a gentleman called Amorpha, who created me my own version which is hysterical because instead of energy, they pick it up and they it's Ribena, pot noodles, um, kebabs. And it's, it's just very, very funny. I'm very, very grateful that I've got that ROM of it. That is very, very cool. It is very cool.
0: I've just thought of an analogy I wish I'd thought of before. Doom 64 is the Queen's Greatest Hits Volume 1 yes. of Doom. Yes. Sure, there might be others. There might be a Volume 2 and a Volume 3. But for the most part, we all know Volume 1 is where the good stuff is. Mm-hmm. No, totally totally
1: agree with that. Because as I said, it was made as a best of. And it has that feel. It's just taken every, the, every little bit that you loved about Doom 1, Doom 2, Doom 2... Uh, every single ROM that they were creating at that time. It's just taken all of that goodness and moved it into one game.
0: So anyway, back to the 1st of March, 1997, in Europe, in the PAL regions, the Nintendo 64 launching. It was quite a big launch, but I hate to be controversial. As a launch lineup goes, it felt quite meagre because the console launched... And it launched with three titles on launch day. Four, if you've got someone that broke street dates and released <laughs> Turrock early. But we had Super Mario 64, we had Pilot Wing 64, and the multimedia weirdness that was Star Wars Shadows of the Empire. Which, as I said, it was one of my launch games. I've still got a soft spot for, not just for the game, which was okay. And let's be honest, without that game, we probably wouldn't have got Rogue Squadron. Mm -hmm. but it's not it's not for the game that I love it it's for the fact there was a comic a book an album a calendar you know scented bath soaps and all that stuff it was just that idea of hey what if we did all the tie-ins of a movie without a movie with Shadows of the Empire it was
1: great because as you said there was it was a multimedia experience it wasn't just a computer game LucasArts came to this agreement after Shadows of the Empire to produce three other games for the N64. And then, obviously, it continued on with Rogue Leader for the, uh, for the GameCube. However, going into Rogue Squadron, that became law. So, at the time, in the ex- now known as the expanded universe, but what happens in Rogue Squadron also became law. So, it's a really good experiment, uh, Shadows of the Empire, because it sort of led the way for computer games to really affect what or or especially nintendo computer games affect what is happening in that uh,
0: expanded universe of star wars but as a launch title for the nintendo 64
1: um it's not my favorite star wars game of all time <laughs> and it's definitely not my favorite out of these launch titles i would say it's my least favorite
0: out of these launch titles also, here we are with these launch titles. How many players is Super Mario 64? One player. <laughs> Pilot Wing 64. One player. And Star Wars Shadows of the Empire. I believe that would be one player. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you're shipping a console with four controller ports. And I know Turok Dinosaur Hunter was just around the corner, which, you know, two players, that's fine. But I see there maybe being the issue of, oh, well, the Nintendo 64's quite early in its life. Not everyone's got to grips with it. But... This is March 1997. <laughs> they launched in Japan in June 1996. Now, in Japan, the launch titles were Mario 64, Pilot Wing 64, and Sakayo Habu Shogi, basically uh-huh. Japanese chess, a Shogi game. Those were the three launch titles, and I believe Shogi was a multiplayer game, but it's not sexing up your console, <laughs> is it, really? Of the three titles, and as I said... I like Shadows of the Empire. Pilot Wings, of course, I like Pilot Wings. Only one of those launch titles, Mario 64, is what you would call a killer app. There's not a Street Fighter amongst them. There's not, you know, Mario's holding this thing up. There's not an F Zero. And yet again, Rave Race, why isn't that a four player game? It is
1: only a two player game. Even those that were pushed back, like uh, the DMA design of Body Harvest, which I'm sure we'll talk about when we talk about RPGs in a minute, um, to Blast Corps, all of these games were just single-player experiences and really odds coming out from this console that was built for multiplayer experiences.
0: Despite a lack of software, the launch went well. The UK, where it went on sale for £249. Germany, 399 deutsche marks. Spain... 34,900 Spanish pesetas, Finland, 1,695 Finnish marker, and Australia, $399.95 of Australian dollar dues. France, technically, 990 French francs. Technically. Technically. But it didn't come out on time for reasons that almost resulted in the Nintendo closing basically closing up shop in france and just going now nah, sod it you're on your own <laughs> you can have tell you what sega sony you can have france nec are you still shipping the turbo graphics you can have france <laughs> we're done that he started just having
1: to import these uh the consoles from germany and from the uk because it, it got to the point of where as you said nintendo just got that point of
0: well as you said the french retailers went well Sacrible, we cannot get our own consoles. We will take their consoles. (laughs) So, imported them for other European countries and sold them at a hefty, hefty markup. Absolutely ridiculous the markup on it. Three titles in Europe, Super Mario 64. We have talked about a lot on this podcast. For better or for worse, we've had two challenges. Well, (laughs) one challenge, one murder. (laughs) Pilot Wing 64, we had turn up just a few episodes before the end of Series 6. Star Wars Shadows of the Empire. We will never see on this podcast as a challenge. Mm. But talk about a future bonus episode. I wouldn't mind diving back into Shadows of the Empire, but just looking at the entire spectrum of the project. Because I've got the book. I've got the album. I've got a whole bunch of the tie-in stuff still. And as I say, it's this fascinating concept of what if all the merch of a movie, but no movie. And unfortunately,
1: some of the multimedia stuff for this was actually a bit better than the game.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, the actual comic and the novel were oh. really damn good. It's one of those games, like I said earlier, that people misremember.
1: Like the amount of times on a stream where somebody go Play Shadows of the Empire! And all I remember is fighting off against that blimmin' assassin droid and going, oh, great. Yeah, the wide range of weapons you get in this are laser fantastic. Oh, that's the train level, isn't it? It is. And the train level even before that, where you're jumping over the obstacles as you're zooming along, you're like, nope, nope, where's Rogue Squadron? Even Battle for Naboo uh, is a better
0: game than this. It's like, so frustrating. But great first level. Yes. If I can draw a direct comparison, that first level of Shadows of the Empire, the Hoth assault, the kind of like the, the, the prototype basis, if you will, for what would follow with the Rogue series of games of, hey, you're in a vehicle and you're recreating classic scenes from Star Wars. That has an almost Star Fox slash Lilac Wars level quality of it, quality to it of let's... Go!
1: It, it's that element of that we all were there. In our, no matter when you grew up, you fantasized of reenacting those famous moments in, in Star Wars movies. A lot of us that are Star Wars fans will always say Empire Strikes Back is our favorite Star Wars movie. And that big scene, that big opening title, hit go and you're in it. You've got ATSTs in front of you. You've got probe droids. You've got the... Huge attap walkers, and then it turns around to you and says, You've got to take them out, and fire your little cannon behind you and go around its legs. It is literally reenacting that moment that we all did with our toys back when we were kids.
0: And then, unfortunately, the game itself falls off a fairly sharp cliff. I think it just had more ambition than it was able to realize, and it's not. It would be easy to point a finger at the nintendo 64 itself because it wasn't the easiest console to develop for it was probably somewhere between the saturn and the playstation on the difficulty scale with the playstation being so simple they could sell a consumer model that you could develop for and on the other end you got the sega saturn which required a rosetta stone to sacrifice (laughs) a goat and and was you know couldn't do transparent polygons For reasons. (laughs) And then in the middle, you had Nintendo 64, which was not the most difficult thing to develop for, but, and it's something we've talked about in the past, Mm -hmm. the cartridge limitations. It It was, I mean, that was where it came down to. It's like, cool, I can throw a huge amount of polygons around, but they're going to be untextured, or they're going to be low texture, because I'm working, because the more textures I put in, the more expensive this game's going to be. And the more music you want, you want to pump in music into this game, because you want to make it Star
1: Wars, you want to add sound effects in there as well. Every single one of those lovely WAV files are just going to push down that memory and down that memory. Now, the way, the, the cart thing, while we're on it, cart memory. It's always the thing that's brought up like by retro gamers to go, huh? why are you like the N64 cart memory? Right, there are a couple of reasons why Nintendo did stick this route. One of them was the word PlayStation. So as we all know, in 1991, Sony and Nintendo started to buddy up and create an add-on for the SNES, which was going to be known as the PlayStation, a CD drive that was being able to expand and be- make 3D, ele- uh, 3D games. However, during this development, Nintendo decided to sleep with another. They went to Philips <laughs> <laughs> and with the Philips CDI, they went, oh, oh, you created what you, you did what was Zelda? Oh, oh, no, we don't like that.
3: Biggest crab I ever caught, (laughs) heh It's a goma. You're pretty good, here. Thanks.
0: That's a walk of shame.
1: (laughs) And they went to Silicon Graphics uh, to create the uh, the Ultra 64, the N64, and they went, we're sticking with carp. And I think that people forget that that game, that Zelda game that is so heavily memed is uh, so vital for this system being cart based and it was in the earlier games that was its massive limitations however you see it as it gets later and later on there's a couple of games out there that should no way near be on these carts one of them i know luke would have loved talking about is resident evil 2 that should not be on these carts however they start to expand their memory they even looked into the basis of having two carts for one game banjo tui The sequel to Banjo-Kazooie was going to be a two-cart deal. However, when you remove one cart to put in the second cart, you had to do it within five seconds. If not, that's it. (laughs) Oh, you just lost everything. And also, as you remember, and I'm sure a lot of people listening to this do, these carts to buy outright were 50 to 60 quid. Way back when, it wasn't cheap to get an N64 cartridge. So you imagine how much it would be to get Banjo-Tooie at that time. It would have been 110 quid for something that they can't figure out how to get the cart in and out. And I think that all comes down to that willingness of, oh, we need to expand. We need to get these games up to that PlayStation level. And I think you could bring that down to very much the case of them losing Square.
0: But for the launch of Nintendo 64 in Europe, Nintendo did push the boat out when it came to advertising. There was certainly a lot of press around it launching. There was a lot around Mario and Mario 64. I mean, we saw it a lot on this whole, like, kind of it being the first true 3D platformer game. Mm. And I remember seeing Mario 64 on the BBC News. I remember it being on, like, the Big Breakfast, and, you know, all the, it was, it was around it was there it did have a weird side effect though because you think about it the time it launches you had the playstation you had kind of the saturn still just ish you had the three people still writing into games master magazine about the atari jaguar
1: (laughs) (laughs) they're now two one's dropped off because the n64's it
0: and then you had the nintendo 64 arriving and so nintendo 64 arrives it's got big marketing big launch woomph sells out despite a limited launch range of games. Saturn continues to go off a cliff. Jaguar, extinct. PlayStation goes up as well. Mm. PlayStation doesn't just continue to sell consistently. It actually gets a spike in sales when the Nintendo 64 launches because Nintendo made some noise. And of course, the discussion that was happening in the business pages, in kind of general television programming, as well as in gaming journalism is... It's a war. It's Sony versus Nintendo, PlayStation versus Nintendo 64. And also, especially as we get later in the year, which console should you get your kids for Christmas? So what you ended up with is you would have a generation of parents or maybe older people that would go, No, I've heard of Nintendo. I know about, I've used to play my Super Nintendos, WWF Super WrestleMania. I've got one thing in mind, and that's to play some
3: games, WWF Super Nintendo.
0: But but Sony, they made Walkmans. And so the PlayStation got even more mainstream press, and it resulted in their sales going up through the roof. But despite kind of boosting the enemy's sales figures nintendo 64 was no slouch it was the kind of second place for the 32-bit generation despite being 64-bit it was the second place of that generation and kind of outlasted the next console from sega as well with the dreamcast which is absolutely crazy although sega with the dreamcast did ape what nintendo had done Four controller ports along the front.
1: <laughs> they made sure that, yeah, they, they made sure that one was copied, which uh, helped people out That when they wanted to buy a copy of Power Stone.
0: <laughs> Although I do love looking at my Dreamcast and going, okay, you copied four <laughs> ports from the Nintendo 64, and then I put my Dreamcast next to my GameCube... <laughs> And I'm like, it's like a brutalist shrunk down Dreamcast.
1: (laughs) It is, to be honest. And funny enough, it's big titles the GameCube would later get anyway.
0: 64 is the fastest, most powerful games console on earth. And at 149.99, there really is no contest. Get into it. How to use and see how it feels when 007 meets N64 before Bond returns in his new movie Tomorrow Never Dies. Nintendo 64, the fastest, most powerful
2: games console on Earth.
3: If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers.
2: So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile
0: unlimited premium wireless. Ready to get 30 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20 20, to 20, get 20 20, to get 15 15 15 15, just 15 bucks a month. Sold. Give it a try at
2: mintmobile.com/switch.
3: $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for a limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
2: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner 3 days in a row, dreaming of something better? Well,
0: 23 big businesses now merge with alien nations the president is about to be cloned and it's your job to try and save the world So what are you going to wear to work? From the creators of GoldenEye for N64 meets special agent Joanna Dark in
2: Perfect Dark Here they
0: come! Smell that rage! They're steaming into the street, showing no mercy! Oh, this is
1: getting very nasty! Oh, he's out of it! I bet that hurt! He's losing
0: Mario Kart 64, take it on head-to-head with split-screen action four ways. Just who is in control here? They're taking no prisoners! Get the anger out of your system with Mario Kart 64 and keep road rage off the streets. Mm. Oh, this is ugly! But with Games Master off the air as launch, we are left with Games Master magazine, although to be more specific, it's actually 64 fan magazine, which was the kind of insert uh, magazine that appeared in Games Master magazine first before launching as its own standalone title. But it is where the majority of the N64 launch news appears for this issue. The magazine insert is given over purely to the UK launch of the Nintendo 64, which has the headline, Saturday, March 1st, let the games begin. And they proudly proclaim, we've got our hands on the PAL machine. So what we have are some not terrible photos of the staff (laughs) of 64 fan magazine with a PAL Nintendo 64, which basically means you've got a cardboard box, And I'm sorry, but I thought the Japanese box was much nicer. Oh really yeah, I really like the kind of the the, the purples and the blues of the Japanese box.
1: It's almost like electric and oh it's like the different colours around the outside oh, it just looks like when car fans put lines on their cars because it makes it go quicker. It looks really nice. And to be honest, Nintendo all the way through, even the the cart boxes they're so much nicer they're always so much nicer than what
0: we got but we get pictures of the box we get pictures of the staff members cuddling the box (laughs) we get a picture of someone reading the epilepsy warning pamphlet and we actually get the information here that on day one there were only twenty thousand nintendo 64s available in the uk
1: it's that supply and demand thing isn't it and they They've always done that so well. Always done it so well. And remember, Luke only said in the last
0: podcast, obviously, what happened on the Wii launch. But the text begins, So what do you get for your fine English pounds? In the eye-catching box modelled on the US packaging, all that's been changed is the removal of the tagline, the fun machine. <laughs> you get a bulk of black kit. You get the machine, the power supply, and a pad, complete with plastic lump towards the end of the wire. Its main purpose being to act as a stress reliever, so that if you yank the wire out, You're not going to pull the wires out of the connecting end. Now, that's bollocks. That's not what that lump is for. That lump appears on all controllers that are to be sold within the European Union. And it's a ferrite core. And it's also on a PlayStation pad. And it's also on other pads because you can actually tell the difference between different regions of pads as to whether they've got that ferrite core on. So, So, yeah, so it's not a stress reliever. That's bobbins, mate. I mean that might, be a, that might be a kind of tertiary benefit, but it doesn't make much sense. But they also say you get an RF adapter and the relevant leads, the adapter slots into the multi-out port, the SNES has one as well, just next to the RF out at the back. It wobbles a bit when it's plugged in, but it's a solidly built little box, enables you to plug your RF leads into your TV and Nintendo 64. There will be all the regular multi-out variants released soon though, including an S-Video lead and SCART adapter, so keep your eyes peeled. I do not miss the day of those RF cables. <laughs> See, mine is all
1: plugged into a El Carto, so I obviously bypassed all of that.
0: But boxing out from this little launch piece, which really doesn't actually tell us anything new other than something that is probably categorically false, <laughs> we also have a note about Turok Tuesday. A claim of at last confirmed their dinosaur pack Duma Up, reviewed earlier this issue, will be launched in the US on Turok Tuesday. Not quite as catchy or irritating as Sega's Sonic Tuesday, but it still captured the imagination of US gamers, with flies in the major US mags hitting the message home. We at Nintendo look forward to the March 4th launch of Turok, said Howard Lincoln, chairman of Nintendo of America. We're convinced it will play a key role in broadening the N64's market penetration. In (laughs) 1997, (laughs) Howie, you faintly rude bloke. And it was—it was a very important game, but it came to attracting a more mature audience because *Churroch Dinosaur Hunter* was not your standard children kind of targeted um, Nintendo game. It was one of those. It was. It was a very early title that was designed for a more mature audience. Actually, do you know what? We'll go to the controller because I'm sure we can say
1: a lot about the N64 controller. But it was definitely a weird game on that aspect of that it was one of the first games i knew of that it would use c buttons to control moving backwards and forwards and then use the joystick to look around so almost what we would get with latter day games with the double joystick so it would almost work similar to how a call of duty would nowadays more than a golden eye that would use the, just the joystick so one it did lead to that sort of mature audience because obviously it's got dinosaurs and knives and bows and arrows and no matter how much of a foggy day it is it's not Silent Hill it's always a tour up there. um but it's it, I think that's one of the things that really fascinates me about that game it's one of the first games I really remember using almost as I said a double joystick
0: or mouse look that's what it is is mm. the idea that you actually have the buttons which will make you go forward straight left straight right backwards yeah. And then the thumb pad, or the thumbstick rather, the the nubbin, as it were, on the N64 pad, is that's the mouse look. But yeah, to, I mean, Turok, it's a great game. But back to N64 fan, there is a brief little box out about Borders because, much like the Snares, the Nintendo 64 Borders, it had some. It definitely had some. Nintendo did try and say, oh, they're barely noticeable. (laughs) It runs at exactly the same speed. And well, they they are noticeable and it does not. I'll be obviously
1: being an N64 collector. I know that there are collectors out there that have sold every single PAL cart they have and just concentrate on NTSC because of the speeds of the PAL. There is considerable slowdown with a lot of those games
0: the ones to go back to the wrestling titles the four player wrestling titles as mm. well which suffer from slowdown because of just slowdown of pushing the hardware too hard you then take the ntse pal slowdown into it and there are moments where it's like kind of like grappling through treacle yeah it's uh the,
1: there's even moments in you know titles such as banjo kazooie where you come on come on you can do it yeah, that's it up to normal speed there are moments where you have that even if banjo kazooie And that's a title that came out in 1998, so.
0: But if we go down the side here, we do have a holy cow column, which gives us a little bit of sales info updates. For the other regions, Nintendo 64 is actually on sale, so not France. And they say since its launch in September of last year, the N64 has sold a staggering 1.7 million units in the US. According to Nintendo, their console sold more in the first three days of the release than the whole of the current Saturn US user base. That's sadly believable.
1: (laughs) No one's questioning it.
0: (laughs) With Japanese sales at over 2 million, Nintendo fully expect to have flogged 6 million N64s by the end of March, one month after the UK and European launch. It's
1: not bad going there. You saw 5.8 in their financial, at the end of the financial year for, and that was April. So that's actually pretty accurate.
0: We also have some details of launch events going on around the UK hmv are seriously gearing up for the launch of the nintendo 64 in stores across the country there will be competitions aplenty to win a brand spanking n64 on the day of launch although you may have just missed them if you're reading this after march the first at the filthy great level one in london there will be a grand prize draw between the first 64 people into the store on the saturday morning the winner gets their own n64 so chances are they were going to get it anyway it's just whether they have to pay for it There's also a Star Wars exhibition to promote Shadows of the Empire. It will feature all the major spaceships, characters, masks, and the like provided by cult shop Forbidden Planet, and I'm sure you could buy those for exorbitant prices. And there will be challenges running to win an N64 using Wave Race 64, Mario Kart 64, and Shadows of the Empire with runners-up prizes of groovy Star Wars and N64 gear. The HMV stores in Manchester, Glasgow, Newcastle, Leeds, Liverpool and Birmingham will also be offering the chance to win an N64 with all-day game challenges on various N64 titles and merchandise giveaways. Sounds like it'll be a right Royal Laugh. Get yourself down there and treat yourself. Shame
1: we read that after it. You know, twenty-five years after,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, we could have gone down there. Damn it! <laughs> I mean, most of those HMVs aren't there anymore. <laughs> a lot of depressing times. And if they were there, they'll be selling Funko Pops. <laughs> we need currency for the apocalypse. All right. Any new console brings about a lot of potential owners who will have questions, and this magazine has set to answer a lot of those. Twenty frequently asked questions are answered to varying degrees. this feature. I'm not going to go through all of them because some of them are just repeating information we've already said many times over, including talk of black borders and what do you get for your money. But there are a couple of questions which are worth highlighting. First of which is question number three. Will the big companies like Capcom, Konami and Namco be making games for the N64? (laughs) And the response is, yes siree, Konami will have the absolutely splendid perfect striker out here in April probably retitled International Superstar Soccer 64 or something like that. That's exactly what it was (laughs) retitled. Literal. (laughs) Capcom have all but confirmed a Nintendo 64 version of Ghouls and Ghosts, and Namco are working on a couple of sports titles and a role-playing game. Suffice to say that nearly all the major Japanese publishers and developers have signed on Nintendo's dotted line and have projects bubbling along. A few questions later... Will the add-on disk drive thingy just end up in the bin like the Mega CD? (laughs) It was going
1: to sell worse, believe it or not. Well,
0: the answer given is not if Nintendo can help it. They're making sure that it's a lot more than just a way of storing bigger games. Oh, a certain oh. proportion of the disc can be used for saving information, making games much more customizable. <laughs> There's talk of Zelda 64 coming on some sort of cartridge disc combo, the disc being used for extra scenarios. Mm. They're also giving it some other top titles to ensure its success. Super Mario 64 2, the RPG Mother 3, probably ending up here as Earthbound 2, and Super Mario RPG 2. Are all down to appear on the 64DD, or as it's now being called in Japan, the Nintendo 64 Disk System, because someone told them that the other thing sounds like a big bra. (laughs) Well, that last bit wasn't in the magazine. That was just me. (laughs)
1: That was just you. Yeah, the 64DD. Well, what's the thing? 100,000 of them made, only 15,000 of the blinking things sold. There are still boxes being found in North America and Japan just full of unboxed. Oh, it that that's a gold mine. Cuz even to buy one nowadays 1,000 quid, you found one of those unboxed? Oh, that's that's you set for life. <laughs>
0: There's a question about how much games will cost where they sheepishly admit (laughs) 60 or £70 for some titles. Ow. Question 10 gets a little interesting with, will I be able to get an adapter to play my SNES games on the N64 like they did with the Super Game Boy thingy? (laughs) To which the answer is basically no. No. Obviously, there are peripherals
1: on the N64 launch later on. Uh, especially coming out as a tie-in with the uh, Pokémon Stadium, the UK relaunch of Pokémon Stadium, not the Pocket Monster Stadium that was launched a year before. Um, so that Western launch came with the Transfer Pack, which you can pop game, game Boy games in there and play on your lovely N64. However, not all Game Boy games—they had to be connected to the, the cartridge that you were playing so for instance pokemon with pokemon um perfect there was a perfect dark, dark game mm. that you could play as well that, that like literally that transfer pack is such a good idea and actually later on they made use of that technology in the gamecube i've got a uh, game boy advance uh, adapter at the bottom so they made use of that to be able to play all of those games however no You can only play those select titles.
0: Question 11 is the elephant-sized chocobo in the room. (laughs) We've all heard the story about Squaresoft ditching Final Fantasy VII on the N64 in favour of the PlayStation. (laughs) And now Enix are doing the same thing with the other top RPG, Dragon Quest. Mm. Does this mean that the N64 is just no good at role-playing games? It's sad because in all of the tech demos,
1: they had a version of Final Fantasy VI in Japan, a 3D version of a fight happening on there, and we never we never got to see it. And it it made Nintendo do some really weird things because we'll go on to su- something they had success with, um, as you may have alluded to a bit earlier on. But it made them do really, really strange things. Now, if all of you have listened to Games Master, you will know that they got one of the best exclusives, I think, has ever happened on UK television. And that was the exclusive from the Shashinko show that had only happened that week. And it went live. And we saw certain games get announced, like Bulldozer 64, which then would become uh, Blast Corp 64. But one of those games that was announced on that was Body Harvest. And Body Harvest was a game being developed by DMA Design. That was being announced back in 1996. Luke, sorry, not Luke. because <laughs> you do that. As you go, Luke, guess what? I was just about to say that. <laughs> Ash, guess what? Guess when When that was launched? 1998? End of 98? Bang on. End of 98. And that was because Nintendo kept on going to DMA Design, creating this open world game, which would be fundamentally their test dummy to Grand Theft Auto 3 that later would later come, uh, come out uh, when they became Rockstar. They they were using this to create this open world game, and Nintendo kept going. Um, guys, uh, could you could you turn this could you turn this into an RPG? DMA didn't want to do it, but they didn't want to lose that Nintendo contract that they had. And literally, they were like trying to convert it. Nintendo just kept on coming in, going, "Yeah, that's great, but can you can you turn this open world game into an RPG?" And that's what kept on pushing it back, and that's why. It is very much a loved game and very much a uh, has a really big cult following as an N64 game. However, that's why it's sometimes a buggy mess because Nintendo kept on sticking the roaring going, could, could you just, you know, that game, could you just d- do what Square were going to do or Enix were going to do? Could you do that for us?
0: The answer that they give is time to stomp on this rampant rumour once and for all. Oh, no. Purely by their nature, RPGs like to have a lot of space to play in. Loads of locations, characters, and storylines all eat up precious space. If you add that to the desire to do the whole thing in sumptuous, go-anywhere, memory-hungry 3D, then you're asking a lot of any system. Square decided it wanted incredibly detailed backdrops for Final Fantasy VII. Pictures like this take up a lot of room, something which CDs have and cartridges don't, so it was natural for them to turn to a CD system. Enix obviously agree, Hence Dragon Quest VII will also be on the PlayStation. All of this doesn't mean that the N64 is bad at RPGs, just that if you want them all to be huge great epics and in 3D, you'll probably have to hang on for the 64DD. There will be cartridge RPGs, Imagineer are working on one, but don't expect them to be on the scale of Final Fantasy VII. Oh, and one more thing, Square haven't deserted Nintendo completely, if they come up with a viable N64 project they'll do it. And why are you bothered about Dragon Quest anyway? There's only one that's ever been translated into English, and that was on the 8-bit NES. Square wouldn't come back (laughs) until the GameCube. (laughs) When they did actually give me one of my favourite Final Fantasy games, I bloody love Crystal Chronicles.
1: Oh, yeah, it's a good one. Especially with the
0: uh, the Game Boy Advance link-up.
1: There were so many games with that, but that's... A podcast for another time.
0: We skipped past some questions about some about some hypothetical rich kid that owns the PlayStation, the Saturn, and a PC with a 3D accelerator, so whether they should actually get the Nintendo 64. Another question about running import N64s in the UK and what is required to do it, which is nice that Gamesmaster is actually addressing that and giving some details, talking about converter boxes and standard converters that Daytel produce, so that's cool. But then 14, again, slightly more negative question, but it is one of the ones I remember being bandied around a lot at the time, which is, surely Nintendo 64 games won't be as good as those on the PlayStation and Saturn because cartridges can't hold nearly as much information as CDs. Do Nintendo think we'll put up with smaller games? And the answer is, no, no, no. It's a myth that just because a PlayStation game comes on a CD that can hold up to 650MB of data, that it always uses up the whole disc. It may come as a shock but the game code for Ridge Racer only takes up about 3 megabytes and would easily fit with hoofing great space to spare on an N64 cart. What you won't get in a Nintendo 64 game is a great long pre-rendered intro sequence which is where most of CD game space goes. Uh, I I'm not sure I believe Ridge Racer fits on 3 meg. No. The code may but not the textures. Ridge Racer 64 is nowhere near as good.
1: As a uh, a Ridge Racer, the original Ridge Racer, you look at Wipeout. Wipeout couldn't take the music files. It's a good game. Wipeout 64. Incredible game. Brilliant game. So immersive. It's it's beautiful. However, they had to completely cut out the music sections from that because it couldn't take those music files as well. No, 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 that's not right.
0: (laughs) That answer does come off as very defensive and very much (laughs) someone that's swimming about in a river in Egypt. (laughs) and then the last couple of questions are questions about whether you can link up machines for multiplayer experiences something nintendo 64 never really dabbled with in the same way the link cables did for the playstation and similar release windows saying that um basically yeah we're still going to get stiffed on the gap between the us and japan and the uk for a lot of games although it does point out to rock is almost a global release So take that for what you will. Mm -hmm. And one of the last questions is about Nintendo and the fact they used to be against violence. Will N64 games be all fluffy, cute and nice? And apparently that one was from Les. And they point out, no, Killer Instinct, Turok, Mortal Kombat, all featuring bucket loads of the Crimson Fluid.
1: However, Miyamoto's idea for the end of GoldenEye was funny. Do you know of that one? No, I don't. So basically, Miyamoto, after seeing Rare's beautiful design for GoldenEye went. Can they all hug at the end? No joke. He wanted all of the characters to combine at the end and just have a big hug.
0: (laughs) It's so weird that that he comes up with that for the ending of Goldeneye based on a film which is relatively violent. And then when it comes to making a Mario movie, it goes to the makers of The Killing (laughs) Fields. Did he send the wrong memos to the wrong people? And he he can travel through space and time. (sighs) Nineteenth question is, will the Nintendo 64 be a success? And the answer is essentially, who do you think we are, Mystic Meg? (laughs) this is
1: very defensive.
0: And it does say the N64 broke the million sales barrier in both Japan and the US faster than either the Saturn or PlayStation. Mmm, mmm. I'm not going to get into that bunfire. I mean, you're pulling a face as well, which means I don't think we'd argue over whether that factoid is a little bit pony. I think that I think that's um, someone's uh, messed about with some figures there, a bit WrestleMania style. Unless you get annoyed if you can't buy more than five blockbusting games a month, you should find the release schedule more than adequate. Let's talk about the definition of blockbusting games, because <laughs> launch titles, that ain't there. If we take into account Turok, if we allow for the street date breaking then there are arguably two blockbuster titles within the first couple of months. Mm-hmm. And then if you look at the year and a half that followed,
1: there, there was only really a handful. And then it was 1998 that you saw the explosion of games, the of 98, that you had the Banjos launch. And literally all of those titles that people tend to go back to were 1998,
0: 1999. That was the sort of two golden years for this console. The last question is an interesting one because like a lot of these questions, it's very loaded. I'm thinking about getting an N64 because all the games that get released on my PlayStation or Saturn seem to be either 3D beat-em-ups, racing games, or Doom clones. Will Nintendo 64 titles be any different to this? I mean, really different. Yeah. I mean, the answer is yes. There were some truly innovative games for the Nintendo 64. There were. The problem is that... The reason why there were so many Doom clones and 3D fighters and racing games released on other consoles is because they're popular, Mm -hmm. because they're accessible, because you know that if you liked Ridge Racer, there was a chance you'd like Wipeout. If you liked Wipeout 2097, there was a chance you would like Gran Turismo. If Mm -hmm. you liked Tekken 2, you might like Soul Edge, and so on and so forth. Whereas... Looking at some of the games that came out for the Nintendo 64, one of my favourite games, uh, Blast Core. Mm. Buying that game was a gamble.
1: It was, and to making that game, it was... Like, name me another game that involves, oh, well, you have to knock down a node of buildings so this truck with a nuclear bomb can go through. It, it was just, it's so, it stands out. Like, I, I did, like, on my podcast, I always do game versus game and i wanted to do glass corps and it was really hard to figure out a game that i would do alongside it um it is
0: so unique their answer is it's a bit of a cop out <laughs> developers only make games that people want which is in line with what i kind of just said you may moan about yet another street fighter but it's still very popular and it would no doubt make a lot of nintendo 64 owners happy if they had a stonking version for their own machine there will be original games as there are on every system don't be surprised if many of them are severely souped up 64-bit versions of old faves. Supply and demand, matey. Now, I would argue that if there were more souped up 64-bit versions of old favourites on the N64, the gaming landscape may have been slightly more different because mm-hmm. we never got a Street Fighter and we
1: the sort of first 3D fighter that hit um, was Mortal Kombat. Co- wow. Well, excluding obviously Killer Instinct Gold, cuz it wasn't really 3D was mortal kombat 4 um yeah and then it and it only got in my opinion excluding smash bros because smash bros is a genre of its own um a sort of traditional fighting game it had fighters destiny one and two they are made by ocean of all people they were the only i would say decent 3d fighters that this had it was almost screaming out for a Street Fighter to come and fill that void. And it's really, you know, those sort of genres, it, it was very still, very Nintendo. It was very slow on that uptake of, oh, let's actually make series that people really, really want. I
0: mean, let's be honest, Street Fighter would never have worked on that controller.
1: There is a reason why I am this controller. So I am showing a Brawler 64 controller made by Retro Fighters. This is my controller of choice because this is better for... A majority of games but the reason why it's called a brawler 64 controller is it's so much better with fighting games so much better with the mortal kombat uh, trilogy or mortal kombat 4 um because of the positioning of the controller because that nubbin in the middle was a pain in the ass it just it wasn't built for it it was built for anything nintendo made by themselves i can't play lilac wars slash Star Fox 64 Without that traditional controller. Uh, Mario 64 was literally built for that controller. Um, literally even with the C buttons doing uh, d- uh, uh, the camera angles. However, there's there's only a handful of games. A handful of games. Nine times out of ten, they are Nintendo made games.
0: We move into the looking ahead section of this little magazine. Looking at the post-launch timeline. And that includes both games and peripherals. Uh, the memory pack, the controller pack is there. Uh, obviously, all Nintendo 64 titles that had a save game functionality saved to the cartridge. It was the one advantage of a cartridge over a CD in that you could save data back to it. Although the save game feature did actually increase the cost of the cartridge. And by making it mandatory for games to save to the cartridge, all cartridges were going to be more expensive as a result. So a mm. bit of a thing. <laughs> Uh, the Jolt Pack, which for me, Star Fox 64, can't imagine playing that game for the first time without it. It's controller colours. So I've got the
1: traditional grey controller, and I've got the golden controller. Um, and then latter releases were a red and a blue and a yellow, I believe. They were and the... a
0: black and a green as well.
1: Oh, there was a black. No, there was definitely a black. I think the green didn't come out in Europe or US. I might be wrong there. However, I can't remember it. The black definitely did. The black definitely did.
0: But I've definitely got a red controller downstairs and I think a yellow one or maybe a blue one. I've got more than just the grey controllers, put it that way. They also list uh, bits and pieces coming out from Daytel, including a version of the action replay, a supersized memory card with one of those little buttons that would let you flip between the different sets of storage and those things always corrupted in the end. They were terrible. The last piece is something that very much of its era, because they existed for the Nintendo 64, they existed for the Super Nintendo before it, the Doctor. In this case, the N64 Doctor. (laughs) Basically a, hey, copy games to a floppy or a CD, or in one case, I think a zip drive. I think there was at least one version of the 64 Doctor or a similar device that used zip drives.
1: To be honest, if it wasn't for those being created, you know, if if you look at, let's say, the expanded N64 library, which are so many modders out there, so many modders creating amazing titles. If it wasn't for that, it would have been, yeah, it's, it's a pain in the ass to get those ROMs from those carts. So, but it always made me laugh because they were always sold on the basis of, ah, oh, you can expand the game, you can... Make the games bigger. No, no, no. You're just ripping the game off. (laughs) Stick it on some blank cart.
0: They don't beat around the bush on this one. They just say, it's the shamelessly dodgy N64 cart copying (laughs) device we told you about last month. It's called the N64 Doctor, costs $400 and allows the unscrupulous to copy cartridges onto a writable CD-ROM, making illegal games a good £40 cheaper to buy than legal shop-bought carts. Boy, blank CD-ROMs used to be bloody expensive. (laughs) Anyway, they go on to conclude, the unit even has room for memory upgrades to take in any increase in the storage size of games. And what's more, the shady Hong Kong geezers who manufacture it are setting up an internet-based help service for their unlawful piece of kit. (laughs) Nintendo have always been stern defenders of their copyright in the past, and it'll be interesting to see what they can do about this one. The answer is, not a lot. (laughs) Now, there is also a feature on the 64DD... That is a very, very long-winded thing to discuss. So we are going to skim over that. Uh, maybe we will come down to it down the line. I noticed a complete absence of the expansion cart. No mention of that there.
1: Yeah, so the the expansion cart was known of uh, from 97. Definitely from 97 because Acclaim had already started to develop its uh, successor to Turok, Turok 2 Seeds of Evil, which was able to connect to it. LucasArts was able to... Uh, get in there as well obviously it was an expansion for rogue squadron um and then rare rare famously messed up because if we know about the expansion pack they made donkey kong 64 now i'm saving that for a whole podcast by itself because i could sit here and moan all day long how oh, that's a massive collective bomb however rare decided let's let's use the expansion oh oh nintendo what what we create a game yep and uh, do you know that peripheral that you could sell for like 50 quid? Yeah, yeah. Well, our new game can't run without it. What? Our new game won't run without it. Oh. So we were asking, can, can, we, can we give it out free with Donkey Kong 64? Because if not, the biggest title of 1999 won't run. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it just always made me laugh is that, Rare, Rare, completely messed up. The darlings of Nintendo at this point
0: completely messed up their peripheral that could have made them quite a bit of money. So just to just to wrap things up, looking at this N64 launch and ooh, what's ahead in the wilds of 1997, 64Fan has given us four pages of titles to look forward to over the coming months and years. So what I'm going to do, rather than go through the paragraphs and paragraphs of information, I'm just going to read the titles to you and as our now resident N64 expert, I want you to give me your your gut reactions, your immediate thoughts or your lasting one-sentence memory of those games. Go for it. Go for it. Start with an easy one. Zelda 64. Um
1: what would later become Ocarina of Time, uh, beautiful masterpiece.
0: Star Fox 64.
1: Oh, pff, the most enjoyable game you'll ever play. Wave
0: Race 64.
1: The water physics are you you don't get anywhere any anything anywhere close on a console for at least 10 years afterwards
0: Yoshi's Island 64
1: Yoshi's story showing a Japanese copy of it uh it is uh relaxation in a cart Kirby's air ride <laughs> somebody is sat on that roM and we all want it give it to us <laughs> later came out for the uh, Gamecube now, that version's worth a lot of money as well, and it became a racing game. But that's that, yeah, if you've got a GameCube version you want to give to me, yeah, by all means,
0: get hold of me. <laughs>
2: That
0: was a long one sentence. It was. <laughs> <laughs> Killer Instinct Gold. Oh, pff, um, <sighs> combo Breaker. Earthbound 64, aka <sighs> Earthbound 2, aka Mother 3. Uh,
1: still waiting for the recreation.
0: Blast Core.
1: Why take a nuclear bomb through a city?
0: <laughs> International Superstar Soccer 64.
1: Best football game of all time.
0: War Gods.
1: Uh, nah.
0: <laughs> FIFA Soccer 64. Oh, possibly the worst
1: football game of all time.
0: <laughs> GoldenEye 007.
1: Uh, iconic. Top Gear Rally. Um, underappreciated. Brilliant game.
0: Doom 64.
1: The best first-person shooter on this content.
0: You'll get emails. <laughs> Rev Limit. Ooh. <laughs> I think Rev Limit is the one we've discussed before between me and Luke, the game that never actually came out. It was the first racer announced for the N64 oh, and yes! it never That's got released. Yeah, so I um... guess missing in action would be an appropriate <laughs> summary. Yes, it was. Mortal Kombat Trilogy.
1: Oh, <sighs> Um, yeah, that stupid controller makes it horrible
0: wild choppers no
1: idea <laughs>
0: <laughs> and okay for the last little box out under the also watch out for one word summaries go on Wayne Gretzky 3D <laughs>
1: arguably well no no sorry the, uh, the sequel I'm gonna tell you a little story the sequel to that was the worst rated computer game on uh on uh IGN. Um, but uh it's it's a good game.
0: Good. One word is good. Good. Cool. The glory of St Andrews.
1: Oh, um it's a 64 DD game. Is it? I don't know. Um no idea.
0: Dual Heroes. Um nah. Tetrisphere. Oh underrated. F064. <laughs> Banger. Bomberman 64.
1: Oh, I'm going to give it two words. Prefer 2D.
0: Blade and barrel. No idea. I thought that was an AEW tag team. <laughs> the barrel and the blade. <laughs> Ultra descent. No idea. Basically, Descent 64.
1: Oh, Descent 64. Mm, uh, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I almost misread this as Buggle Boogle, but it says Buggy Boogie. <laughs>
1: Buggy Boogie. Ca- Buggy Boogie never came out.
0: They do say in this, no firm date for this Nintendo Driving <laughs> Fest. Been in development for pigging ages. <laughs> no never was launched, so nah. <laughs> Mission impossible.
1: Oh, um, oh, how do I just put that into a word? Um Is underrated? it impossible? Um <laughs> 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 uh, underrated again. Lamborghini sixty-four. Oh, Titan, hates you. Um... <laughs> I'll take that as a word. <laughs> Multi-racing championship. Oh, um, my first ever racing game I've played for this console. Um, I love it. Sonic Wing Assault. No idea.
0: Go-Go Troublemakers. No idea.
1: <laughs> oh, Troublemakers. Oh, Mischief Makers. Oh, yeah. is that Mischief Makers? Oh, oh uh, shake, 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 shake
0: there you go yeah treasure basically <laughs> treasure being treasure sorry
1: i just realized it was like oh mischief makers ah no i love that game
0: <laughs> clay fighter 63 and a third oh uh th- famously the, the
1: the the sculptures cuts the most expensive game that you can buy on this cult the console uh it's got fwm gym in it um
0: meh nah. <laughs> quake 64 Spectacular. Body Harvest. Before it's time. Silicon Valley.
1: Oh, the buy it.
0: <laughs> Two I, words, but given your inability to count no, beyond one I, most of <laughs> the time.
1: I can't, like, especially with certain ones. I'm like, oh, I how do I just keep that to one word? Purchase. <laughs> yeah,
0: purchase. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> I use my big words. <laughs> I'm a big boy now. It is a shame we only have 10 episodes of Games Master left at this point because we've already had a good few years of the rise of the PlayStation, the death spiral of the Sega Saturn, <laughs> the extinction of the Jaguar, and the what the hell do we even do with this of the Panasonic 3DO. <laughs> And because it's a short series, and because Series 7 is very much the series that shouldn't have been, Mm. the Nintendo 64 is not as big a part of what time we have left here with Games Master as it could have been. It is a shame we're not going to get to explore more of the Nintendo 64's unfortunately very, very brief lifespan. I was actually looking up some details earlier, and Mm. technically this was discontinued before the PlayStation. But the PlayStation wasn't discontinued until shortly before the launch of the PlayStation 3. The PlayStation remained in active production all the way through its successor's lifespan because, of course, backward compatibility meant that they could sell games for the PlayStation. If someone bought a PS2, fine, they can carry the games over to it.
1: It was like overnight they just walked in and shut up shop on it. You know, the last game that was released for the N64 was in 2004 one uh that was uh Tony
0: Hawks Tony T- Hawks T- yeah Tony yeah. Hawks
1: Pro skater took three, and that was a game that came out a year before um if you look at let's say how us collectors and N64 enthusiasts you know last uh, sorry 2 years ago we saw someone find Dinosaur Planet a Dinosaur Planet was would later become Star Fox Adventures so there were all these games that were literally overnight just gone no 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 stop producing them for the n64 you now need to switch them over to the GameCube or project dolphin you need to do that now because we are just going to switch off the lights and that's it and because of that you know it's so sad that we lost a lot of those games we lost a lot of games
0: yeah same with the saturn as well actually if you look at where the saturn just they just went we're done yeah moving on to the dreamcast both nintendo and sega were loss chasing because nintendo came second in that particular console generation war Mm -hmm. but in part they only did because the saturn crashed so badly because they were last to the race and it's a shame because i do have a lot of love for for the nintendo 64 there are a lot of games on it i truly adore to this day um the wrestling games on the nintendo 64 for me will never be surpassed as 3d wrestling games go Prove me wrong, fight forever. (laughs) Cliff, thanks so much for joining me. Joining us and then just joining me and stepping up and becoming not just part of a trio, but becoming the full-fledged co-host for this episode (laughs) and just helping me model through this. Guys, you will never hear most of the stuff that we said. This is a two hour, 13 minute record and by heckins, we've got some editing to do. If nothing, because this bugger right here, can't just understand the concept of a single sentence (laughs) or (laughs) word
1: purchase anyway um no it's an absolute honor being here one i'm really grateful for you giving me this opportunity because it is huge for me this is huge this isn't just a podcast that i look up to i'm a fan of this podcast so to be on this i've been podcasting for 10 years this is one of my highlights and to do it with yourself you know ash that i I look up to you immensely and it is always fascinating to see how much research you put into it you put in the same effort as i do into waffling as you you do into research It is just absolutely phenomenal so i just want to say thank you thank you to you thank you to luke and thank you to absolutely everyone who is still listening to me continue on waffling, I'll let you carry on.
0: (laughs) If they want to hear more of your bird's eye potato waffles, they're waffly (laughs) versatile, where can they find you online?
1: It's N64 Life Podcast. That's on the old Twitter, uh, Mastodon, uh, Instagram, wherever wherever you get your stuffs from, Um, as well as the Twitch channel. uh, I stream uh, 8.30 till 11.00 Most Fridays, most Sundays, I stream the N64. But I have expanded a little bit. I have gone to the GameCube and the Game Boy Advance as well. Um, But come and give that a watch, as well as N64 Life podcast. It should be back by the time that you are listening to this. Not if you're a patron. Um, So please go and give it a listen. There should be a lovely episode up about the cluster. Try not to swear. No more editing. Um the lovely delightful game that was Superman The New Adventures of Superman commonly known as Superman 64 so go and give that a listen and if you want to find me at the amazing cliff but yeah that's awesome I loved every second of this <laughs> It
0: has been a hoot a hoot But that about wraps it up for this week. Thank you all so much for listening. If you want to get in touch with us and provide us with your thoughts of the launch of the Nintendo 64 or feedback for our upcoming Season 6 wrap-up episode, you can do so over on Twitter at underconsolepod on Instagram at UnderDotConsole, or via email feedback at underconsultation.com. You can also join us on our Discord where there is a lot of excitement at the moment because... We're in the final build-up to Under Consultation Live 2.0. And if you're hearing this on the Patreon feed, there is still time for you to get tickets and get on down to Croydon. We are not only doing a live podcast recording of the best of Games Master, kind of picking some of our favourite challenges from across all eight seasons, but then in the second half, we are recreating, and in some cases, enhancing some of those challenges. That's right, we are putting on live podcasts. Our very own Games Master Tribute Show. That's Saturday, 14th of January, 2023, in Croydon. All details are on our social media and tickets are available on our website, underconsultation.com. If you wish to support this podcast monetarily, you can do so over at our Patreon, which is at patreon.com forward slash underconsult pod. At the £5 level, you get access to next week's episode one week early and ad free. And at the £10 level, they get a little bit more. Don't they, Ash? That's right, Ash. They do, Ash. At the £10 level, one of the two Ashes will package up a mug, fill it with sweeties, fill it with stickers, fill it with badges, yeet it out the window and hope a pigeon picks it up and drops it down your chimney.
1: And doesn't accidentally deliver it to the little old lady that lives opposite you.
0: (laughs) to be more accurate, doesn't accidentally give the address of the little <laughs> old lady that lives next to you. All right, my therefore, bad. being <laughs> self-fulfilling. But that is what those £10 backers get. And they also get their names read out right now. Let's see if I can do this in one take. Because those £10 backers are Misha, William C, Gordon D, Adam D, the amazing Cliff. Never heard of him. Mark A, Sean Dunn, Nick L, Simon, Harriet Manga Girl, Matty Boo, David Palmer, Jamie Smith, Super Sexy Dave Fisher, Zanderthal, Kevin Kerr, Andrew Cummings, Richard Downer, Gordon Brunt, Link Campbell, Christian Din, Riss Wynn, Tom S, Andy Smith, Arcadia Wild, Bill, Ian Williams, I Am Cheadle, Selena B, N, Chris Price, Retro Fun for Everyone, and David White. One take. Well done, sir. Uh... That will do it for this week. We will see you in seven days' time for another interstitial episode from the void that is Dominic Diamond's Mind Palace before we eventually get to the Desert Island. Take care, everyone. Good night.